I was sitting back there thinking, <clears throat> there are eternal consequences to decisions that are happening this week. And I know it's not just this week, <clears throat> but it's as we go through life. But because I'm in this week and you're in this week, there are eternal consequences happening with decisions that are being made this week. <clears throat> and what I may do or say, and I know lots of you, but I'm, I'm just looking at myself. I was just pondering. And what I do or say may affect that. That feels kind of heavy. Eternal consequences. Can we grasp that? <clears throat> it's kind of hard to sometimes as we sit in present day life. Just listen to this. After this, <clears throat> I looked. And behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking to me. I don't know what that sounds like, but I think it was clear and distinct and a loud call. Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. What would have happened this morning if each of you on your way to this place here this morning, as you were driving along and you're talking about this and you're talking about that and you're looking around, if all of a sudden up in the sky this massive door whoosh, would have opened and you would have gotten a glimpse into the eternal like the Apostle John did. How do you think we'd have walked in here? I think we'd have walked in here very quietly, reverently. Brother, did you see what I saw? Sister, did you see what I saw? Yes. If a door would be opened in heaven like it was to the apostle John. Verse 2, and immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he that sat on the throne looked upon like a jasper and a sardine stone and he goes on and on and he paints this magnificent picture of the one on the throne. And that's what I saw, John said. I think it would have made us all come with very humble, fearful, cautious hearts. I saw something in the eternal. But young people, what I want to impress upon our hearts this morning is that it's there. Even though you and I didn't see it this morning, it's there. And we so often forget. And we get distracted and we think what is real is what is happening in front of me right here and now. And that's not real at all. Remember the verse my father shared with us <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> last night? The things which are seen are temporal. They're just passing. 
The things which are unseen are eternal. <coughs> Excuse me. A man was laying in the back of his motor home on a bed. And he was laying there and he went to take a nap. And he's a little like me. If it's very bright outside and I still close my eyes, somehow the light, it still stimulates me and I can't sleep as well. And so he put something over his face. I think it was a towel, a hand towel. And I've done that before. Put something over my face when I lay down to take a nap if it's in the middle of the day just to block out the sun. And he laid down and went to sleep. Took a little nap. I think there was a bit of a dream and somehow he woke up and he opened his eyes and all was dark. And he said, I'm blind, I'm blind. And he sits up and the towel falls off his eyes and he can see. <clears throat> was he blind? For a teeny tiny bit. But when it's so short, we don't call it blind. We say, well, he just had a towel over his eyes. So that means the reality of something is how long it lasts, right? He was blind for a teeny tiny bit, but we don't call it blind because it was so short. And I want us somehow to grasp a picture of that this morning. Life is so short and eternity is so long. This morning I'd like to share staying faithful <clears throat> with an eternal vision. <clears throat> staying faithful with an eternal vision. As my wife and I sat and talked, as I've mentioned to you a few times, I said, okay, why? Why is it some don't make it and some do? Some go off in, into their tangents and end up with messes and in the world and some don't. And some, say, some, some stay faithful and some don't. And as we pondered that, we felt like it's so common to see people get distracted with the cares of this life. And things that are actually unreal, they think are real. It's brainless. The word is stupid and it means brainless. It really is. To get excited and consume your life about something that's so short-lived it's hardly, barely worth called being real. But then the excitement of getting excited about something that will last and last and last. Jesus made it very clear the cares of this life come in and distract because the vision gets set on this life. And somehow I want to share <clears throat> just a little bit. I feel it's very common as you look through the Word of God that when God called a man and He placed on His heart a burden that was on the heart of God and He placed it upon the heart of man, many times He gave them a glimpse into the eternal. We just read of the Apostle John. He got a glimpse into the eternal. <clears throat> Remember the Apostle Paul? He saw some things and he had glimpses into the eternal. We could go down through many of the prophets. Ezekiel. Remember the beginning of Ezekiel? He had a vision and it revolutionized his life. Isaiah had the same thing. Woe is me! Because he saw something that was beyond the veil that was between us and the eternal. There's this veil. We can't see it with these eyes. And there's this veil. But it seems like whenever God 
gives a man a glimpse beyond that veil just a little bit and he gets a little peek. It revolutionizes their lives. And I believe God has given us some peaks and I want us to look at that. And my prayer is that it can help revolution our lives so that as we go through our day-to-day life, we look at the things of this life from a different perspective. It's so easy for us to get busy with this world. Oh, that's right. You can't see over there, can you? I'll move this out. We all know what timelines are, right? Born line. Mickey Brubaker, born 1982. Line. Go along a few years. Line. Born again. Go along a few more years. Something happened here. Move to Idaho. Line. Few more years. Line. Get, got married. Few more years. Line. And on and on it goes. And we put little lines to date time. And the beginning was, has a little line. And the end will have a line. And we have this little gap in between these two lines. And that's my life. And you have a gap in between lines. And it's your life. If we were trying to give a timeline of God, how do you think it would look? Right? We can't put lines. I don't care, and you know this, but it doesn't matter if we go all the way back to Vermont where I live, and then we wrap it all this piece of timeline all the way around the world, and we head out into the universe and go past the moon, you all know. We've got to put an arrow, and I want us to picture that in the middle... We have two little lines so far apart in between there. That's called time. Creation. And then the end of creation when it's rolled up as a scroll. Of this first or this creation. And in between those two lines, you and I are so minute that it's impossible to put those lines in there. And this way, it goes on and on and on, and on. And over here this way, it goes on, and on, and on. And we're in the middle. And it's so extremely concerning to us when right in here, not a hair's width, but a hair's width, something happens, and it's extremely concerning to me. And I think I'm blind. Right? Or I think it's just terribly difficult. And you know what? It is. But can I help us step back just a little bit and realize what it's really like? Appreciated very much what my father shared last night. And some of you all came up with some things that are just passing. And you came up with some things that are lasting. I know the pull of the things that are passing. I understand what it's like when things pull whether it's, and we, I, all the things that were mentioned, clothes and vehicles and houses and um, stuff and things and uh, relationships and all these things. And they're very dear to us and they're important and we need to be careful. Let's put them in the light of this. I was on a boat 
going between the island of Zanzibar and the island of Pemba. Two different islands in the Indian Ocean off of the coast of Africa. Hopped on a boat and I wanted to go between these islands and it was kind of a slow boat. It was fairly cheap and so I was happy to get that boat but it went through the night. So I left in the evening, got there in the morning so it didn't feel like it wasted any time and it was a cheap ride, and so I hopped on this boat, and this boat is big enough, I, maybe I should call it a ship, that they drive trucks on it. It has a big old plank in the front. It's not, it's not cargo. It's not, I don't know what to say, but it's big enough that you can drive vehicles and trucks and semi-loads of things, and they piled them on, and one thing they piled on there was a big load of coal. But this coal was nicely in bags, and <clears throat> so it got dark as we, I can't remember if I got on before it got dark, probably not. Got on the ship and it was dark, beautiful clear night, whole bunch of people, piles and piles of stuff, and I wound my way down into the area where all the uh, stuff is, out onto the deck, wide open, beautiful clear evening, found these bags of coal, huge bags of coal, and snuggled down in between them, and it was very comfortable. And it was a night to remember. I lay there as the engine quietly hummed along. They weren't planning to get there until morning, and so it wasn't in a hurry. The engine quietly hummed along, and I laid there, and I gazed up at the stars. Beautiful, dark. If you've never been in a place where there's no lights for miles and miles around, um, it's hard to describe the scene that you see above you in a clear night. And I laid there and had a, actually slept well. Probably a little short, not perfect as last night, but... Slept decently well, had a good night, but I had a beautiful time as I lay there. I believe it was that very same ship that just a couple years later was leaving harbor. And they piled things on and piled things on and piled things on and beyond what they should have. And they had to bribe the people so that they could get more things on. And there was bribing and corruption happening and this ship got overloaded. It left the harbor already listing. Some people said, get me off of here. There's actually a few people who got off. As it headed out to the island north of it, it began listing more and more and more off to the side. And I got news. I actually happened to be in the States over that time. There were a few different uh, times. There were ships that sank. But I got news while I was in the States that that ship went down. And because of the lack of, I don't know, I'll leave that all alone, but there was very little help that happened until the next morning. A few fishermen headed out and tried to help. There were close to 2,000 people on that ship, and only a few, the numbers are difficult. In, in, if you look in the public media, the numbers are way askew. If you talk to the locals, many of them have someone or a relation that died. And it sank. And as I, in, I was in the States at the time when that happened, in between being there, my heart sank too. And I thought, God, I almost wish I was on that ship. I almost wish I could have stood up and with just a few hundred people on the ship and said, listen, the end is coming. I don't know what I would have said. But 2,000 People, and maybe there was someone on there who knew Christ, but hundreds, some say 1,800, went to their grave. They didn't understand eternity that was coming. 
and they weren't ready. Again, maybe there were a couple there. But in general, they didn't know what was coming. Life was over. It was gone. But the day before, they had been very, very concerned about things. Very concerned about their cargo getting on that ship. Very concerned about the money that they were taking along with them to go back to their home. Very concerned about the gifts that they had bought so that they could put them on that ship and take them back to their loved ones. And now it meant nothing. Done. All over. Can you somehow put the things in life that you hold and that you think about and that you live for in light of this door, if it could be opened in heaven, and you could see? Can you somehow do that? Lift up the things that are making you question the song we just sang. What was it? Almost persuaded. All right. Those things that are all that are holding you back and making you say only almost Put them in light of this and see how foolish they are. Somehow, I'm so thankful. Years ago, I don't remember a particular message or a particular person. This issue gripped me. And it it ha- is continually changing me. If we'll somehow come before God and say, God, would you allow the light of the eternal, like the Apostle Paul said there in 2 Corinthians 4, as we looked at last night, like the Apostle John talked about, and a door was opened. Why? Why, Moses, did you choose to suffer affliction with the people of God, Hebrews eleven twenty five through 27, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? Moses, you had it. You had the pleasures of sin. You had the power. You had the pomp. You had the abilities. You had the training. And he said, no. Let me go suffer with the people of God than to enjoy this. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Egypt, For why? He had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He looked at Egypt and he looked at all that he was going to get out of that. And he looked at all the power and he looked at all the everything he was going to get. And he said, you know what? I see the reward for that. Then he looked at suffering with the people of God and he looked at what was going to happen with the people of God and he looked at the reward, the returns of what was going to happen to that and he said, I know what I'm going to choose. It's clear to me. You do the same. Put life in that perspective. And I want to give two sides to this picture today. The one side seems a little heavy and discouraging maybe to some, but the other side is beautiful. The discouraging is... Take the things that are drawing you to the world and realize how worthless they really are. It's dumb. Foolish. Doesn't even make sense if you really look at the picture the way it is. But the other side is exciting. Look what I can live for. Can you comprehend the rewards on this side? We can't. But just a little bit. I want us to meditate on that. In light of this eternal vision, I would like us to just ponder a little bit. I'm going to write up here above this line an eternal vision. I'm going to try to... uh, Draw a little illustration here. Down here at the bottom, 
in between these two lines, the little arrow down here too. We've got an arrow up at the top that shows an eternal vision. We've got an arrow down here at the bottom, and I'm going to put down here narrow vision. Narrow vision. <clears throat> the other day I was sitting in my bedroom, office, only other room in the house besides the bathroom, everything room. We live in the basement of a house. And so our bedroom is my office, is my, that's the only other real room in the house and in the basement where we're living while we fix up the upstairs. My little girl is two years old. And she came into the room and she was wailing. Things were terrible, bad. You could tell by the look on her face. It was horrible. <laughs> okay, it was bad. Wailing. Not, not rebellion, not whatever, but something was terrible. Not pain. <laughs> it was emotions. But to her, the world had come to an end, basically. I mean, this was awful. And she's wailing, and she comes and comes behind me and flops down on the bed with a wail. And her older sister, three years older than her, comes running in with her dolly and says, Delina, here, you can have this. And it's, wail, look up at the dolly, thank you. <laughs> that fast. And we all know, we've seen it happen. It, it, it was unique to me, actually. It was still a wail when she began saying thank you and laughing. I mean, it, it was all one flow. <laughs> How broad is her vision? How broad is it? It's very, very narrow. Right? She is looking, and I'll, I'll just put this here. She is looking in the present 10 seconds. That was almost too broad for that one. Children, or maybe I should say toddlers, are really small. She was looking at my 10 seconds past and my 10 seconds future. And that's what she lived in. And something was awfully wrong. And it was just terrible. 10 seconds later, it's wonderful. Okay? So her breadth of vision, 10 seconds. And that's what was important to her in life. This present 10 seconds. Very, very important. And we as parents need to remember it was important to her as we work with them. But what we'll try to do, as my wife and I work with them, and as we as parents work with our children, is say, um, daughter, can you see beyond 10 seconds a little bit? You share with her. Let her have it a while. And after a while, you can have it and, and let's share. And So we're trying to stretch their vision beyond 10 seconds. That's what we're trying to do. So that's where Delina is. When you get to a little older children, I have some a little bit older children. I'll put uh, 10 seconds here on this side. That's their breadth of vision. You get to a little older children, it broadens up just a little bit. Um, <clears throat> my boys are looking forward to uh, this coming week. We have a, uh, they have some cousins coming up to our house to help paint. And this is going to be fun. We're going to paint the house, and some cousins are going to be there. And this is life, okay? We're looking at the next few weeks, and what the next fun thing that's coming up is just wonderful. 
they're not thinking about next year, really. Every now and then we'll think about next year. But, you know, the next thing coming up, and so they're going to live these next, uh, this next week, this upcoming week, and it's going to be exciting, and they're going to have fun, and their breadth of vision is how wide. Okay, here we have seconds. So now we're getting, sure, I'll look at weeks. You know, you, you, we're still with children, but a little bit older children. It broadens out, their breadth of vision broadens out to a few weeks. And now they can think beyond the present distress of not having my dolly right now, and they can think of a few weeks. So their breadth of vision has gone broader. If I jump to youth, and again, I I realize, well, I'm I'm just doing the standard here. With youth... What would you say is the standard, and I'm not saying a a Christian conscious of an eternal vision. I'm not saying a Christian that's earnest. I'm saying standard youth breadth of concept and vision. What do you think the standard width might be? Six months. Six months. Another opinion. Two Two years. Okay, you are hitting right in the slot I was thinking of too. Six months, two years. Young men, you know it. If you buy a car or a truck, in six months or two years, that thing is going to not be what it was when you bought it. So if it's really, really important to you and you dump lots of money into this thing, your breadth of vision is six months to two years. Maybe some of you can see beyond and you stretch it to three and four, but that's what we're looking at. Just... A couple of years. That's the standard view. A couple of years. So it's getting broader. So what I want us to see is, as we move up in this graph, the, we're getting broader, and there's maturity that begins to happen. Growth as we move up, and the breadth of our vision broadens. The things, some of the things that were mentioned last night, it's very common for young people, young ladies and young men, they're very concerned about how they appear to others around them. Relationships, um, looks, outward things, inward things, feelings, all those things are extremely important. But again, many times that breadth of vision is only a couple of years. And we could keep going. The standard older person, and again, I'm not talking about a Christian that's consumed with the kingdom of God. The standard older person, or or adult, whatever you want to call an adult, what would you say their standard breadth of vision is? See if I hit on like I did last time. Five years? Someone else. Ten Ten years. Someone else. I agree. I was thinking, yes. I was thinking actually broader, more like this. Some of them, we plan for uh, retirement. We're thinking about houses and lands. That's not just a two-year project. We're thinking about businesses. That's not just a two-year project. So it gets a little broader when you get to adults, and so then the issue becomes houses and lands. Do you notice how our breadth of vision affects our weaknesses? 
and the things we're concerned about? As we mature, our vision broadens to be on the right here and now. From my little girl all the way up. And there's something about this breadth of vision that brings a maturity and a different concept. And thus there are different outworkings in life. My father, going to use him as an illustration, is a spiritual man. But even aside from that, he doesn't have to die to the fact that he doesn't have a sporty looking car. It's just not an issue to him. It's not important. He doesn't have to die to the fact that, and whatever it is, you know, his truck is, it's kind of wimpy. We laugh about it sometimes. Push the pedal all the way down. You get going, just hang in there. (laughs) But you know, he doesn't just, isn't concerned about that when he drives into work or when he drives in with his pick. It doesn't matter. Because his breadth of vision is so far beyond his little Toyota Tacoma. Is that right? Okay, and I praise God. Some of it's spiritual. Some of it is. Most older men aren't all that concerned about it. Now, the odd thing is, you do see these old men driving these fancy cars down the road these days. And they've got their Camaros in there. I don't know what they are. And so, I guess it is in some of them. But a true Christian, that doesn't happen. What I want us to see is, don't just mature up to here. We're not just asking for that. Somehow, if we can burst across this veil. There's a veil that in general the world cannot see that goes across here. A lot of the world, it's probably more down here. But there's a veil. And if somehow you and I can rip aside that veil by the power of God, or maybe God has to do it, I'm not sure, and we see with a broader vision and a broader view, life looks differently. We don't actually have to die to this and die to... All of a sudden, some things matter and some things don't matter. When you burst through the line of the eternal and see, broadly see, it revolutionizes the way life looks. How broadly are you looking this morning? What consumes your mind? What do you think about? What do you dream about? That gives some breadth. That shows a little bit where you're at in this breadth of vision diagram. What do you think about? What do you like? What do you live for? What motivates you? You're going to be able to see your breadth of vision. Delina, my youngest daughter, who wailed, youth, adults, and those with an eternal vision all look at the same things in life. They see all the same things. In fact, we have to deal with most of the same things. The difference is our perspective. And what, in what light, are we seeing it as? I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. 
the Apostle John got a vision into the eternal. The other prophets got a vision into the eternal. So how do we, sitting here today, I don't expect you're going to go home tonight, lay down on bed, God is going to give you a vision that will transform your life. I don't expect that will happen. How can we, sitting here today, in very earthly America, very earthly, and I'm sorry, I wasn't saying America, but life, planet Earth, and we're stuck on planet Earth, and to burst beyond the bounds of this veil is difficult. That separates us from the eternal. We should remember, let's remember, it's there even when you don't realize it. We took a hike one day and went up up the mountain. I don't remember where it was. I just remember this illustration. We took a hike, climbed up, up, up. I don't know how many miles or how far we went. And we got up and there was this beautiful waterfall coursing over the edge, plunging to the depths in a thunderous roar and a beautiful spray. And if the sun's on it right, there's a rainbow. And you know all the beauties and power of a waterfall. And I stood there watching and I thought, I wonder how long that water has been falling. And I never thought about it. It's just been coming and going and going and going and thundering and thundering and I go about my life and I don't think about that waterfall. A couple years later, I thought about it. All the past two years, that waterfall has still been rushing. The water has been rushing over the edge, plunging into the depths, and there's been a thunderous roar and many beautiful rainbows, and I haven't thought about it for years. But it's still going on. Just because I didn't think about it doesn't mean it's not real. It keeps happening. Just because we don't see it. Because we don't see this glorious throne in heaven and the one who sat upon it shining. And we don't see the cherubims gathered around. And we don't see the four and twenty elders. And we don't see the sparkling, dazzling glory. Does that mean it's not there? It's still there. Just because we don't see some angels doing some jobs around planet earth. Around you and around me. That doesn't mean it's not happening. Sometimes I wish there would be a way that we could just see it. There was a dear old soldier of the cross who longed. He said, I wish I could hang my disciples over hell for two seconds. Or was it two minutes? I forget. He said it would revolutionize them. Just two. Again, I forget now. I should have looked it up. Two seconds or two minutes. That's all. And see the agonies of hell. It would change you and I. I'm sure. How can we get a picture of that? Open to Luke chapter 16. I think Jesus wants us to get a little picture of that. Luke chapter 16 verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was, which was laid at his gate full of sores. He's painting a picture of two different people. One who was wealthy and lived a pompous life. And one who was gro- a groveling beggar with misery. Verse 21, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, was Lazarus was, and moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. Have you ever been turned off a little sometimes at filthy, dirty, ugly people? Poor and downcast and whatever. That's the picture Jesus is trying to paint. 
miserable existence. Sores, no money, no food, sick, poor. A rich man clothed in purple, that was the color of, the, of royalty, fearing sumptuously. He had all he wanted to eat, he had all he needed, and far beyond and anything his heart desired, and he, he lusted after it was there for him. And here he came, and he came out his gate. There was Lazarus, and he just wanted a few crumbs. Just a few crumbs. Came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angel into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And I think our Lord Jesus is trying to help us. He's trying to pull back this veil just a little bit. And he's saying, my people, would you see beyond the veil here just a little bit? Poor man, Abraham's bosom. Rich man died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torments. Seeth Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried. Said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Just a dip. Dip in the water. One drip. Please. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things. Likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And the rich man sat back in his torment and said, Oh, yeah, okay, I guess it's fair. It's all right. I'm glad I fared sumptuously. Is that what it says? He didn't give a hoot about his faring sumptuously. And beside all this, between us and you, verse 26, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, Oh, I pray thee. He's not done begging. Therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. All right, you can't do anything for me. Then send him back to my father's house. Please, I have five brethren that, may testif- that he may testify unto them, lest they come into this place of torment. Abraham, please, would you then send Lazarus, send him back? I have five brethren at home, and he can testify unto them, and he can tell them, I saw beyond this veil. I saw it. Your brother is, and he can explain it. Tormented. Please! What did he want him to say? What did the rich man want Lazarus to testify about? What was it? Testify what he's seen and heard, right? Give him a vision of the eternal. Let him see the absolute misery of this flame. And know the beauty that he, Lazarus, got to experience. Please go and tell my brethren. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Oh. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, 
But if one went from them from the dead, they will repent. Do you see him agonizing? Please do something. Someone from the dead, they'll repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Because their vision is too narrow. They won't see it. My dear young people, could you somehow ask God to broaden your vision? Allow you in your heart and life to break through and penetrate that veil so that you can see. Then what matters will matter. What doesn't matter won't matter anymore. Oh, it'll matter, but it'll only matter in light of this. Relationships with people, me getting hurt, my issues, oh, it's okay, Lord, help me be faithful. They'll matter, so I don't mean to say they won't matter, but in this light, in the long term, with the breadth of a vision that is godly and eternal, things change. Things look differently. I don't know. We're not going to do this because of time. But if you want to do something, you meditate on this. Take the list that the rich man experienced in life. Take the list and write it out. The list that Lazarus experienced in life. And then write the list past the eternal, what each one experienced. And I don't know what to do with this. But what I think Jesus was doing was connecting those two lists. If they're like this on the side, earth side, they're like this in the eternal side. If they're like this on the earth side, they're like this on the eternal side. You see what I'm saying? That's a little bit what he was doing. And again, my father shared that last night. We live in a dangerous country. We're faring sumptuously. Let's be careful. Lest our vision be fulfilled here. That's one gift that our dear persecuted brethren have that we don't. We have gifts they don't have. I understand. I'm just looking at the other side. They just don't get so excited about stuff and things and fulfillment in this life. It's just not as exciting. Because it's not there. For them to keep on, keeping on by faith through the misery and the agony of laying under a bed and being jumped on. They have to see beyond this veil. They have to fix their eyes there. Or we're of all men most miserable if we don't. Paul's quote. (coughs) Excuse me. If the rich man could speak to us, would come up here, and he, would, he could come back to earth, and he could speak to us today. What cry do you think he would cry? What cry from the eternal would he ring out across this room? What would that cry be? Would he cry, Come now, ye rich, weep and howl. For your miseries that are coming upon you, your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are rusted, and their rust shall be the testimony against you, and shall eat your flesh as fire. You have laid up your treasure in the last days, and it's just going to perish. Woe unto you, rich men! Think he would cry that? I wonder. 
That's Bible. If we won't hear this, will we hear the one rose from the dead? What cry would he ring out? Would he cry, be careful with your stuff and things and your businesses and your things that you like in this life? Be careful! Be careful how you let money flow in and out of your fingers. Be careful. I think he might cry some of those things. Be careful how nice and easy you make it for yourself and comfy and how much stuff you allow for yourself in the comforts of this life just to feed because it feels nice, looks nice, etc., etc. Be careful. Make choices on purpose that will help keep your eyes and your vision where it should be. Be careful. Be careful how much time you put into faring sumptuously. I wonder if he wouldn't say. Young men, I work by the hour. I know what it's like. The temptation of not wanting the bank account to go up, uh, down, but wanting it to go up. I know what that's like. And a few more minutes helps it go up. We need to work. We need to be diligent. I'm just saying watch our mindset. When I take... The next hour, and I want to spend another hour at work, the question becomes, all right, is this best? When I put it and I burst through this veil and I gaze at it to make another few dollars that's going to help things burn a little brighter and hotter down here, is it worth it? If there's a need, if there's a place, if that's what you're called to do, if that's what your boss needs, if that's what, and you want to give, and there are lots of reasons it can be beautiful, but I also know the tendency of my own heart. After coming back from, from Africa, being here a while, I know the temptation of wanting to buy nice things for my wife too. And that's not all wrong, and I have to wrestle. How, Lord, do we, and, and my wife and I talk about it, how do we wrestle and keep the things of earth strangely dim? Yet we need to live here. We want to live here. It's what God has called us to. We want to do it right. But we want to do it very, very carefully with our vision way up here. What do you think if Judas could come from where he is. Using the illustration that Jesus gave us of the rich man. If Judas would be given an opportunity to stand here and say just a few sentences, what would he cry? Would he say, watch out for the foolish love of money? Would he say that? I think he might. It will bring you to a place where it will be harder for you to enter heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Be careful! What do you think Demas would cry? If Demas got the opportunity to stand here, remember Demas? Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica. What do you think he would say? Having loved this present world. Do you know what I think he'd say? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Love not the things and stuff of the world. Don't do it. It's not worth it. I've seen beyond the veil. And they're worthless in the light of eternity. 
I beg you, love not the things of this world. They'll kill you. Can you see it that way? Your love of something in this world will kill you spiritually. And I feel my perspective. I have seen it over and over and over in some friends of mine. Oh, they want to love God. But there's this love. They like the things of the world. And it begins to strangle them and choke them spiritually. And it looks, and some of them totally die. And some of them look pretty pathetic if they're still alive. It kills you, I think Demas would say. It'll strangle you. I don't know what your loves are. I know some of my little petty things that I felt like God said, Mick, get rid of them. Maybe I actually referred to them. Some of you have maybe heard. But you know my four-wheeler, my backpacking in the mountains, my playing basketball, my these fun things. And I realized, Mickey, there's a place to do those things very carefully. But I wasn't doing them carefully. And for me, it was best to cut them off. I don't want to love the things of this world. Pull back the curtain and look. And all of a sudden, a fun little fling looks really, really stupid. What would Lot and his wife say? If they could cry to us. Past the veil. They've crossed over. What would they say? Would they cry? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? They had some friendship with the world and it ruined their lives. And if you study it out, it's because of Abraham that their lives weren't totally destroyed. Lot and wasn't totally destroyed instantly there in Sodom because of Abraham. Don't have friendship with the world. The stuff and things in the world. The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth in thee. And I I could read uh, James there. Would they say, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Would they cry, don't make friends with Sodom. Don't do it. Don't pitch your tents. Don't lean towards those things. And he pitched his tents toward Sodom. And it killed him. Okay. He made it alive for a little while longer. But the wreck, the sin, the loss. If you pitch your tents or lean toward with a love toward the glitter and excitement of the world, you'll lose out. You'll lose it. Be careful that you don't lean towards the world and identify them with them in the things of this life and in clothes and in entertainment and in music and all of these things. Don't lean that way. I think Lot and his wife might say, it'll kill you. And again, I, I've mentioned, I feel I've gotten to see some people that it slowly, slowly killed them. It's a powerful killer.
What do you think Samson would say? What would Samson say? I think Samson would stand up here, and one thing he would say, he would say, be careful of lust. It'll kill you. I've been down that road. And young men, it'll kill you. Don't do it. Maybe he would say, and that knowing the time, that it is now high time to wake out of sleep, for now is your salvation nearer than when we believe the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Cast them off. Rid of them. Let us put on the armor of light and let us walk honestly as in the day, in light of the day. Light, eternal light, and walk in the day. Not in riotous or drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Think Samson would say that? I think he would. Make no provision for the flesh. It'll kill you. Young people, keep a reserve, a proper reserve between the genders. Okay? I think that's what one thing Samson would say. Don't be loose with relationships. Well, your relationships, don't be loose with them. And be careful with that silly phone that sometimes is a step in that direction. We think Joseph would say, Joseph, who had the right, in quotes, to be bitter, did he not? From the world's standpoint, he had the right to be better. What would he say if he stood up here? Don't do it, young people. Don't be bitter. God, some people don't know what they're doing and the evil that they're doing, but God meant it, means it for good. Don't get bitter or it'll kill you and you won't get the good out of it. If Joseph could cry to us now, having seen, walked through it, and seen beyond the veil, I think that's one thing he would tell us. And that's one thing that is very, very common in life. We will face problems. And some of you, I know some of you are going through some. Some of you are going through difficult ones. Some of you aren't right now. Praise God. You're walking on. Life is is going well. It's okay. You'll hit them. You will hit them. Life has problems. Life has storms. Joseph would say, be faithful and don't get bitter. Don't do it. Because if you don't, God can keep blessing and he'll take what could have been evil and turn it for good. He can and I know some of you can't see that in your storm right now and that doesn't make sense. Remember the dime-sized hole. It does make sense, though it doesn't to you and me, I know. I don't understand some of your problems and storms. They don't make sense to me. But if we can see beyond the veil, and if you're willing to walk and walk and follow Joseph's example, don't get bitter. It would also say, Young men, you flee when temptations come to you. Flee. And if you have to lose your coat over it, flee!
you know we could go on and on and on. Would you please meditate on this breadth of vision and say, God, where am I at? What in my life helps show me the fruit of where I'm at? How, how high are we going here? I actually didn't write that, I guess. 10 to 25 years, or 5 to 25 years, I think we got from here. The next level up. 5 to 25 years is what we heard from some of you. Where am I at, Lord? What am I living for? We've all gone beyond this one. Down here at the bottom, my dear little daughter. We've gone beyond that. Most of us have gone beyond the next step. Can I encourage you somehow, somehow to hear the cries that come from eternity and allow you to pull back the veil and the door to open in heaven and just stand there a little bit. Stand there a little bit and gaze on God and turn around and look at life. Say, now what does it look like from this perspective? How do I take my next step? How am I going to go to work? On Monday? How am I going to serve where I'm called to serve on Monday? How am I going to deal with relationships that are very difficult to deal with on next Tuesday? How am I going to do this? Could you please do it with your eyes steadfastly gazed beyond the veil that separates us from the eternal? God can do that. I know that He can. I've experienced a little, and I know some of you have experienced a little. But I'm blessed to get to share this with you this morning to remind my own heart. Mickey, look beyond the temporal. Staying faithful and a vision that's eternal. That looks beyond the distractions and the things of this life. I think it has been life-changing to me. And I think it has been life-changing to many, many, many of my friends and others as we walk in life that's taking us one way or the other. Be faithful. Please be faithful. Hold up before God that with which you are laboring for and put it to the eternal test. Do that. Hold up before God your life and that for which you are laboring for and put it to the eternal perspective test. Lord, where does it come out? Where am I at? How far up this graph have I gone? Where do I need to change? How do I deal with the next step in front of me next week in light of eternity? <clears throat> you know the illustration. Maybe some of you do. There was a man and his wife... He took the American dream and they lived from 20 to I don't know what it was, 55. And their goal was we've got to make money, we've got to put it aside so that we have from 55 to however long we have and we get to live it up. And they worked and they labored and they worked hard and they labored and you know what? They made it. And you know, you and I, what we work hard for and labor for, we can probably have it. If you really want to be a wealthy businessman, you can have it. If you really want to have, what did my father say, floof? And, and giddiness 
and fun and laughy and all this. The world can provide some stuff that's kind of fun for the moment. We can have that. It's, it can be there. They labored and at 50, I think it was before 55, they had done a good job. They had some retirement plans. They had all sorts of things. And now they were able to walk along the beach, money there for the rest of their life. They could live comfortably, go where they wanted, do what they wanted. And, and you know, they, they got to walk along the beach and gather seashells and, and just live a relaxing, comfortable, the way they wanted to life. And someday, they'll burst beyond this veil. And they'll stand before God. And do you know what they'll have to offer? Lord, see my seashells? Here's my seashells, Lord. Awful. Terrible. Don't do it. Please, don't do it. I'm done. Thank you for letting me be here this week. God bless you all. Um, I care about you all. Please stay faithful. Storms will come. Will you please stay faithful? Please. I know my please doesn't matter, but take the little things in your life and make the little decisions day by day by day. Don't wait for just the big ones. Realize the little ones will make the difference. Please stay faithful. And when you think of us, you pray for us that we'll stay faithful and that we'll be faithful channels of the grace of God also. We want to do that. Looking at things from the proper perspective, from the proper way. I wanted to just mention this song we sang. Maybe some of you need to uh, sing it every month. We sang it before I came up here and I thought, you know what, I'm going to read this. How firm a foundation, ye brothers and sisters in the Lord is laid for your faith. Where? In His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He hath said, even if one rise from the dead? He won't believe Him. He has the prophets. You have it. What more can He say than to you He hath said, who unto the Savior for refuge have fled? Fear not! When the storm rages and you think you're just about to sink. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee and I'll help thee if you'll look to him to do it. And cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Brother Harold mentioned that hand that reaches down. And he's willing for you to grasp it. Grasp it. When through the deep waters, and some of you have deep waters. Some of you don't and will have deep waters. But do you know what some of you's deep waters will be? Little tiny things one at a time. And they're deep. When through the deep waters I call thee to go... The rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee. Thy trials to take away. Thy trials to bless. Storm's good for you, Peter. Get out and walk. 
Did you learn something, Peter? Good. I blessed that storm. And sanctified to thee, thy deepest distress will be a suffocation to you. It will. Hell should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Let's do it. Let's do it together for the sake of our Lord. Okay. I told you I was done and then I started again, didn't I? I just wanted to give those few words at the end. That song stuck out to me. Can we pray? Father, I have three more minutes to pray for these dear, dear young people. And for myself, God, keep us faithful, please. Keep us faithful through the storms of life that have come, are coming, and will come upon us. Please keep them faithful. You're so worthy, Lord Jesus. And as we look at it from an eternal perspective, it only makes sense. Help us to remember to look at it from this perspective so that it's It helps make life so obvious. Bless these dear, dear young people, Lord. Strength, Lord. We need strength. You've called us to stay in the world and to live here in the midst of it, and you want us to stay faithful. Would you help us, Lord? I know you will. God, we want to cry out to you. We know you'll do your part. God, please, I pray that these young people will do their part and that I'll do my part. We love you, Lord. We do. And we commit ourselves and our lives, our storms, to you. Faithfulness, Lord, is our cry. In your name, Lord Jesus, thank you for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all dearly, richly.